You hear it all the time, especially on this show. A kid who grew up loving technology makes his way into the IT field. That was the story for Carl Muscovian, the CIO at Gainsight. But his path has led him on a road that has still been unexpected. The world of IT has changed so much since Carl first entered the field. And as a CIO, he's learned that there are some things you have to constantly adjust to and others that will always remain the same. He explains all the intricacies of the role, as well as the exciting work being done at Gainsight on this episode of IT Visionaries. Enjoy the conversation. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Fizz, I'm Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. We have, on the other line, Carl, what's going on? Hey, all sorts of things. Yeah, all sorts of things indeed. It's raining outside, but the IT and tech conversations are swirling rapidly on uh, uh, before this and, and hopefully for our listeners today. So um, before we get started in you know everything that's going on at Gainsight, how did you get into technology? I was a computer nerd as a kid. Um, and I was uh, not like a video game nerd or something, but actually a database guy. Like I loved writing programs to keep track of my baseball cards and like extremely nerdy stuff like that, which turned out to be absolutely perfect for becoming an IT guy. So uh, it worked out quite nicely. So flash forward to today, you know, what is the scope of your responsibilities as CIO of Gainsight? So I've got the traditional applications and operations spaces. Uh, I've also got security rolling into me, which is uh, pretty common nowadays for, for a lot of CIOs. Security ends up uh, actually intersecting a lot with privacy. So I've actually spent a lot of time uh, having to worry about things like GDPR in the last couple of years. And then, so are you working, you know, on employee experience type stuff? Are you working on product? Are you working with customers? Like what, um, how do you kind of break up your time? It, it's interesting because being at a SaaS company uh, that sells business application software, I do have an external component to my role. So, uh, and I actually, I love that. So I do get to interact with the CIOs of some of our customers. Um, and it's, it's great to, to have that connection uh, in addition to sort of the more normal internal IT work, uh, which is runs the gamut, uh, as you would expect, of enterprise applications and you know productivity applications and making sure people have laptops and such, with the sort of twist being that as a born-in-the-cloud company, we look a lot different than some other companies that I've worked for in the past. And, and that's been really interesting for me uh, to, to kind of adjust to the fact that, um, for instance, uh, you know, our people are spread out. They were quite distributed. Um, and so it's not so much uh, having a big office with a ton of people and a big network to manage and more, how do I enable people to be effective wherever they are? 
uh, on the road, in at home, in a Starbucks. Um, so that's been uh, that's been an interesting challenge. Yeah. So how what's the what do the employees look like? I didn't realize that you were uh, you were somewhat of a you know um, dispersed company or remote company. Yeah, we we really uh, you know within the United States we have several offices um, in St. Louis and Phoenix and in the Bay Area. Uh, we've also got a lot of people who are home office workers or you know sales folks who who basically are on the road uh, most of the time. And then we've got a, a large contingent in India, and so um, we're we're quite distributed. We've even got a couple of small groups in the UK and in Israel. So even though we're not a huge company, we're quite, uh, we're quite distributed. You know, when you think about architecting your IT environment, we really need it to be uh, very mobile, uh, not sort of assuming that somebody is sitting at a desk in a, in a headquarters office somewhere and really trying to enable people to be effective wherever they are. And so when it comes to, you know, your products and customers, what, what are you solving for them and what kind of companies are you working with? Really, anybody who wants to be customer-centric uh, and is having a long-term relationship with their customers, I think more and more are thinking about customer success. And customer success is a space that's still somewhat new and I think not fully understood. I think sometimes when people hear the term, they think about it in sort of generic terms. They think of it as just meaning I really care a lot about my customers or something. Um, and it's really more than that. It has to do with not just responding to, let's say, issues that come up from a support perspective uh, or going back to your customer and trying to sell them something uh, on a regular basis. Let's say you, you, know, you sell them a subscription and you need to come back uh, in a few years and, and get them to renew. But how do you maintain a strong connection to them all the time? Uh, that cares not just about uh, putting out fires, so to speak, in a customer support sense, um, but actually making sure that they're getting the full value of what they bought from you. Um, and that's a little different mindset, but it's very, very powerful. Uh, and companies that do customer success find tremendous improvements in their retention rates and their NPS and all those measures uh, of not just customer satisfaction, but really customer loyalty and advocacy. Um, and it's, it hits the bottom line. It literally changes retention rates uh, when, you, when you do customer success. And a lot of companies are doing it. So, I mean, we've got, we've got big names like Cisco and Box and Adobe who are, who are using our product. We've got a lot of other smaller companies. It's, it's not like you have to be a big giant company to get value out of this. In fact, we're finding more and more that customer success is becoming something that even early stage companies are thinking about very early in their, in their life cycle. Uh, they're saying, look, we need to nail this upfront, uh, not come back later and, and try and figure it out because it's so core to our business. Um, but especially anyone in a, in a subscription business, I think has, has got to be thinking about customer success and we're, we're the leaders in, in that space. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, our company has a customer success manager. Um, and I mean, we think about it all the time and we're, you know, whatever, 17 employees. So, I mean, I think it definitely is, you know, big company, uh, to small, everybody has to, um, 
you know, everybody has to kind of be on board. How do you think the CIO's role kind of plays into that? Two aspects to that. One is, is that if, again, if you're a CIO at a company that is, uh, that is selling uh, to IT or for whom IT is a stakeholder, um, it's crazy not to be engaged externally with, with your customers. Uh, there's just a lot of power in that, in that relationship. And I love the fact that I have a network of CIOs who all support each other. In other words, when, when I'm having a problem with a product, uh, look, I'll, I'll go through the standard, um, the standard support channels and things like that. But there are some things where I'll just reach out to someone who's in my CIO network who's there and say, hey, can you help me out with this? And I love being able to play that role for our customers and, and just facilitate a stronger uh, relationship between, between the companies. Um, but the other thing is, is that more and more companies are going to be looking to implement things like Gainsight uh, to help their customer success initiative be successful. And so it's something CIOs need to certainly have on their radar and uh, useful to, to learn a little bit about because if you're not being asked about it now, you, you probably will. And it may be one of those areas where you can actually add some strategic value to the company by actually putting it on the radar of, of your company if, if it isn't already there. Yeah, you, you, know, you said before uh, in an article that you know, keeping the lights on is not enough. Um, you know, that what enterprises are going to look at IT for is, is, you know, a driver of transformational change. How are you kind of seeing that? And how are you kind of looking at it from your lens as CIO? I think most CIOs are, are expected to be someone who's bringing new technologies uh, and, and new opportunities to the business. Uh, and, and certainly, when you're at the CIO level, you're, you're anything but an order taker, right? Uh, so, you know, you should certainly be able to have a very strategic conversation with business leaders in your company around what they're ultimately trying to achieve and how you can help them get there uh, with technology. Uh, you know, I think in some cases, um, you know, CIOs are actually being held to a pretty high standard in terms of, uh, their their management team saying, look, we expect you to bring us opportunities. Um, you know, in, in some companies that I've been in, IT is seen as sort of a, uh, a back office order taker. Hey, we'll just ask you for stuff and we just want you to do it. Uh, but those companies are generally, uh, you know, not strong innovators. And I think we're seeing more and more executives understand the value of technology and why they need to have a great relationship with their CIO uh, to really drive their companies forward. Well, and, and this gets at kind of the idea um, that you've also talked about in the past of like collaboration instead of control. And I love that way of thinking about it because I think that, um, you know, a lot of the CIOs that we've talked to on IT Visionaries have talked about like seeding control of things that, you know, you don't need control of, but like having governance kind of like not control or, or whatever, however you want to, you know, you know, figure that out. But I, I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on, on the idea of collaboration versus control? It's, it, I think it's a super interesting topic right now and it's super hard, um, but it's good and it's interesting. You know, I feel like being at a born in the cloud company, I'm, I'm at the 
the front of the wave there. Uh, a lot of companies are headed in this direction, um, but we were we were there when I got here. Um, so, you know, coming into a startup situation, there hasn't been IT in the past. Each department has gone out and fired up an application to solve their problem uh, and has been running it themselves. And so when you come in, people don't necessarily say, hey, this is great. We would like you to just take control of all of this. Uh, in a lot of cases, they say, you know, we're just fine. We've been managing this application ourselves. Um, we're, we're fine to continue doing that. And so as a CIO, I had to sort of reset my, my thinking a little to a more federated kind of model that says, okay, that's not the end of the world. Uh, but what are the things that really need to be centrally controlled and managed? And how do I do that in a way that's just really effective uh, and efficient? Right? Because again, it's we're, I don't have a huge team. It's not like in the past where I've been at a big company and I had a, an army of people. Um, so you need to be efficient and you need to be super agile because you're a startup and things are changing all the time. So, you know, what we've really done is to form uh, a group uh, that comes together with representatives from all the different business teams who are doing applications work. And we come together every three weeks and do a round table. We share with each other what's going on in your world, uh, which helps really connect everybody and make sure that we have alignment. We don't step on each other's toes. And then the other key thing is that there are certain things that I do in IT that are shared services across all of those. So probably the biggest of those is integration. Um, and, you know, I had this thought recently, a long time ago, Sun used to say the network is the computer. And this was kind of capturing the idea that the power in the hardware was not in one giant mainframe anymore. It was the combination of a lot of smaller computers that were all connected to each other. Uh, in some ways, I feel like the application is the integration today. In other words, if you said, what is your quote to cash application? There might be 10 different applications involved in that process. And so really what's driving it all is the integration underneath that's connecting them all together. And so integration is incredibly important. You know, in this new SaaS world, everyone is getting best of breed software, which is great because the individual pieces of work are happening really well. They're optimized. Uh, but it's tough. It makes the pressure on that integration even higher because where in the past you might have had three applications you need to connect to each other. Now you may have 10. IT does the integration layer for everyone. And that has worked out really well. It also gives us an opportunity to be involved at a more architectural level. So the danger of individual groups going off and doing work that's optimized for their space is that it doesn't necessarily all hang together or fit into a framework that, that makes sense for the company as a whole. And so because I have this very collaborative relationship with everyone and I'm providing these integration services, I can see everything that's going on. I don't necessarily directly control all of it, but I see it and I have the opportunity to step in uh, and say, hey, maybe you might wanna go a different direction here or you're off trying to solve this problem 
Um, but actually, we already have something that does that that you just don't know about because it's in a different department. So at the end of the day, it's okay to have a federated environment, but it's vital to have somebody in the company who has the big picture. And I think that's IT. So even though the, it seems like the world is moving in a direction where IT is maybe less important, uh, I think IT in some ways is more important uh, to integrate all of those pieces together. Yeah. Do you, you know, for, for the companies that aren't kind of like born in the cloud startups, um, you know, obviously you have a lot of, you know, advantages there with, you know, agility and being able to kind of like set the stage from an early day to have those sort of meetings for the, for the folks that are listening that don't have that, that might have an older, more legacy company. How do you kind of get the first one of those meetings together? Those kind of cross-functional meetings to say, um, hey, let's start to make sure we're all on the same page. I, I think the most important thing is to actually stay away from words like governance, even though that may to some extent be what you're doing, and try and make it in some ways as informal and frankly, not scary as you can, right? I think when you say, hey, I want to form this committee, uh, you know, and get representatives from each group, I think people immediately think, oh, you want to take over, <laughs> right? And that really wasn't the case for me. Uh, and I needed to make sure to let people know that, I think, and, and make it sort of a safe space, so to speak, uh, that people feel like, look, all we're trying to do is coordinate and communicate here. Now, that may evolve into something that looks a little more like actual governance, but what I found is that the people in each group who are doing this work, let's say they're administrating an application in, in their team, they actually were wildly enthusiastic. There may be some people in an organization who feel a sense of, uh, ownership or they're afraid to lose control or something. But the people who are in the trenches actually doing the work, I find don't tend to have that and actually love the opportunity to meet with other people who are doing it. And one of the things that's tough about this federated world is that those people can feel very isolated, right? If you're the one person who's taking care of your application in your group, it's not like in IT where you're part of a whole team of people doing that. Uh, you're on your own. And so when you have a problem or a question or even just want to commiserate with someone about some of the challenges of doing that, you don't have anybody. And so, uh, you know, we've got a, a Slack channel, for instance, for this team, and it's pretty active and people throw out questions and they say, hey, is anyone else dealing with this problem? Or, you know, I'm doing this thing and does anyone have like a template or a document that I can sort of steal from, right? Um, and it's great. It's, so it's, it has a kind of, it actually has a pretty informal feel to it, but it's very effective. And I find that, you know, one of the ways you can tell if things like this are working or not is if people actually come to the meetings and we really get quite good attendance at these meetings. And that tells me that it's perceived as a value add by people. It's not seen as a bureaucratic thing or, or something where IT is just trying to tell them what to do. People seem to genuinely enjoy coming to the meeting, sharing with each other and having this opportunity. So I encourage people to, uh, to do this and not, and not worry about trying to make it a big, serious, like let's have a charter and a, 
process and a big thing. Like it's okay to just start by saying, you know what, we're just going to get together and, and let's just do a round table. It, it, it's funny when I started this meeting, I, I did have kind of a charter and a, a standard agenda and an idea of, of how these meetings would go. Um, and then, and then we started having the meetings and then as part of it, we did the round table and that the round table was really where all the good stuff was. And so now that's primarily all we do in the meetings. And, and that's where the value is. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's kind of like, you know, getting an excuse to get people together to be able to talk about stuff in a you know, non-threatening way is really, is really the key. Um, do you have donuts? Like what's, what's the offering? It's a virtual meeting because we're so spread out. Uh, we're all over the place. So if we're, if I'm lucky, I get one or two people in the room with me um, and another maybe eight or nine dialed in from all over the place. So, uh, so the content has to be especially good. It has to be especially value added because I can't bribe people with donuts. Oh man. BYOD. Uh, I guess you just got to recommend that everybody brings their own. Um, no, I really, I really like that approach. And I think you're right about Yes, it, calling it the governance meeting would probably be uh, people are just going to tune out or, or not show up. How do you look at supporting other kind of business units like sales and, and the more business side of things with technology in that kind of perspective? Are you bringing them insights? Are you kind of like advising them on different things? Like, And then how do you look for you know, innovation and, and keep innovation healthy within the IT organization. Are you doing, you know, things like hackathons and all that sort of stuff? Like what, what do you, how are you kind of building that innovation muscle? So we, we do hackathons, um, although they're more focused on the product, I would say, than our internal IT environment. Uh, I certainly, I think like most CIOs, is, are constantly consuming content, whether it's podcasts or articles or, or anything like that. Uh, I'm a little old school and, and uh, I use an RSS reader and I find that it's, it's one of the best ways for me to sort through a lot of content quickly. Um, so, you know, we, we're all always trying to stay on top of the barrage of information. I actually find that the CIO network itself is extremely valuable and probably the most important resource I have. Uh, you know, when I go to a lunch with some other CIOs and we're talking about both shared challenges, but also, hey, what have you seen that's really interesting out there? I find that that's honestly where I get some of the best information that there is. So uh, the value of that networking and, uh, is, is uh, beyond, uh, beyond measure. And I definitely meet with my business groups talk about what they're trying to achieve. And even though they may be uh, taking care of a lot of their own applications internally, uh, that doesn't preclude me from coming to them with, hey, there's this really interesting thing you might want to look at. Uh, and it doesn't preclude them from coming to me and saying, hey, there's this really interesting thing. We're looking at it internally, but would love to get your input on it as well. There's an interesting thing about the way IT works with these internal business groups. I think IT figured out a long time ago that we need to have regular interactions with business executives in the different teams to make sure we're aligned. We understand what they're trying to achieve and to make sure that the work we're doing lines up with that, right? We're helping them achieve their goals. 
And it's just interesting because there's sort of a parallel between that and customer success. Because in some ways, that's exactly what customer success is. It says instead of being an order taker, uh, having a transactional relationship, uh, and just doing something for you and then going away and not talking to you until you need something again, we're going to have more of an ongoing relationship. We're going to have something like a quarterly meeting where we review what's all the things that we're doing, what are your priorities, how maybe have they changed, what can we do to make sure we're aligned to those. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of an interesting thing that what companies are doing with their external customers is what a lot of IT people have been doing uh, with their internal customers. Uh, and so I think IT people, CIOs in particular, generally get the concept of customer success really well because a lot of them have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, um, and I liked your point about meeting, you know, with other, you know, IT leaders and folks like that, and especially like being purposeful about how you do that. Do you think that, you know, as you're trying to, you know, to build that network for the folks that might be, you know, living in, in other countries or don't have, you know, a, you know, ready access to those type of networks, what would you recommend for those folks of ways to like tap into organizations um, to meet other folks and other professionals in the field? Yeah, I think there's two things. One is uh, there are virtual ways to do that. So, you know, if you, there are a lot of platforms that have forums that connect people together. So there's a certain amount that you can do with that. But the other advice that I, that I often give folks is if there's not a local network where you are, don't be shy about creating it, right? <laughs> it's something I think people sometimes just don't even think, oh, I could just, I could go make that happen. But if you think about it, if you know a couple people in your area, um, maybe it's not Silicon Valley, maybe it's someplace that, that doesn't have quite as much of a, a tech presence, but you know a couple of other, let's say, CIOs, and you get together for lunch and you say, hey, let's just set something up once a quarter, once a month, whatever it is, but let's have lunch once a month. And then you say to them, do you know anybody else, right? Then, you know, you'll go from three to six to 12 pretty quickly. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you'll have created a networking group. And that's the you know, so if you don't have one there, it's not necessarily impossible for you to go make it happen. And I, I encourage people to do that. I'm, I'm a member of, uh, of a group here in the, in the Bay Area uh, that formed very much that way. And, you know, often it's a vendor or something that will call together uh, CIOs. And, and that's great. And I go to a lot of those kind of events. But I'm also part of a network that's completely self-organized uh, that really is a group of CIOs who take turn hosting at their office. Uh, we get together, we choose a topic, we do a round table, uh, and then we go to dinner. And so we build relationships, we share information with each other. It's super valuable. It's a, it's a hugely valuable thing for me. And it was just created by a small group of people a long time ago who said this doesn't exist and I wish it existed and so they made it happen. And so I think anybody can, can go out and do that. Yeah, it's it's great advice. And when we um, when we talk to folks that have kind of successfully done that and started their own, you know, started a meetup or whatever, it just takes time. You know, it takes it might take a couple of years to kind of get some traction. But 
um, you know, if you're if you're thinking about how to create value for those folks. And another thing is there's such a you know fight for talent anyways that if you're putting a bunch of IT people in a room wherever it is that you are, uh, there's probably a good chance that uh, that people are looking for you know to hire those folks anyway. Do you any do you do anything to uh, to try to you know help accelerate the talent that's coming into the organization? Absolutely. And um, again, I, I would give a great example, which is that 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 CIO group will often share uh, when when they know somebody who's looking, they'll say, hey, here's this great person. If anyone's looking for that, and then people say, I'm looking for someone like this. Does anyone know anyone? You know, because we all have these these great personal networks, especially if you've been doing this a while, right? You have folks who used to work for you, uh, you know, then, so not necessarily they're with you right now, but over the course of your career, you know, all these good people. And so we help each other, uh, all the time to, to fill, to fill tough roles. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to go find a, um, sort of a person who is doing kind of a standard skill set that's, you know, can be easily described as like a Java programmer or something. You can, you know, there are a lot of ways to go find that person. But when you're saying, wow, I really need a business analyst who knows revenue accounting and, you know, maybe has some very specific kind of skill sets, that's where that, that network can come in really handy to, to find that, uh, that very unique person. Or just, I need a project manager, but I, it would be really great if they had these particular, um, you know, kind of attributes or, or skills. Uh, you know, those kind of things, the, the network can be fantastic for, for helping find those folks. So what do you think is next for IT, for CIOs? Um, you know, you've, you've been in the industry a while, and I'm sure you've seen it change significantly. Um, I know it's a loaded question, but what, can you, what do you feel like is the future of IT? Well, I think we've talked a little bit about this sort of federated model, and I think that's only going to happen more. And so I think in some ways IT uh, may get a little smaller, but more strategic, right? And really focused on those shared services, on things like architecture. Um, so I think that trend will only continue uh, as, as we go forward. I have to say, though, sometimes when people talk about the you know, changing world of IT and the role of CIOs and stuff, I think that a lot of things are not changing. Um, you know, sometimes you hear this kind of thing around, well, you know, back in the old days, IT was just all technology, but now they have to be more business focused. Uh, certainly in the applications space, I think we've been pretty business focused for a long time. Um, and I think in some ways, uh, that's the heart of what we do. Um, understanding business process and understanding how to automate it uh, and, and make it better through technology. And I don't think that's going away. I think one observation that I make is that a lot of business groups will fire up a SaaS application and they'll get it started and they'll take it to a certain point. But at a certain point, that person who kind of is filling in as, a, as an admin, right? Um, they're not really like a, a business analyst. It's not really what they're trained in. Um, they kind of reach their limits. And oftentimes that stuff ends up coming in back into IT. Um, you know, maybe the business initially wanted to just do it on their own so they could move quickly. Uh, but uh, one kind of nice thing that I do see happening more and more is actually a renewed appreciation for IT from people who've gone off and tried to do it themselves and, and now have a better understanding of how hard it is 
to really run a, an enterprise application. Um, and so I think there's always sort of ebbs and flows, and we sort of see centralized and decentralized models sort of going back and forth over time. I think right now we're in a, a moment that's very decentralized, but I think IT will always be the core of keeping things running uh, in, in, a, in an organization. And I actually will not be surprised to see the wheel sort of turn again and see more and more come back to IT uh, as, as people understand the, the real impacts of, of trying to keep all these things running over time. All right, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. We love Salesforce and we love the Customer 360 platforms. So check them out if you haven't already. Lightning round questions. Carl, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what is your favorite animal? Sea turtles. Ooh, that's a good one. All right. My wife and I love to go snorkeling and uh, being in the water uh, with, these, with these huge turtles in Hawaii is just the best. I totally agree. I saw uh, just last year I was in Hawaii and I saw some sea turtles and they just ride the waves and they're just great. I couldn't agree more. Number two, what app on your phone is the most fun? You know, I, uh, I play backgammon. I think everybody needs something where they can sort of turn their brain off. And uh, backgammon is my game. I also love backgammon. Jeez. Just fast friends, you and I, Carl. Um, uh, and I also play backgammon on my phone uh, when I'm not listening to podcasts or something. Number three, what is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Uh, I think my favorite thing to eat is pizza. And that is the same answer I would have given you when I was like five years old. And I have to admit that I think that is probably still the honest answer to that question. Also, my favorite thing to eat, you know, Carl, we're just we're three for three. This is great. Um, there's no right answers, I suppose. But um, what about what is your favorite podcast or recent book that you've uh, read or listened to recently? So my latest podcast obsession are actually history podcasts. And so uh, I'm, I'm sort of turning into a little bit of a history nerd um, and listening to uh, a number of, of history podcasts, mostly around British history, somewhat by accident. I sort of stumbled into it. But once I was there, I thought, well, maybe I should just stay with this for a while so I can sort of learn one area uh, better instead of flitting around too much. So um, that's, that's been my latest thing. Favorite type of scone? Cranberry. How about best advice for a first-time CIO? So I think first-time CIO, you've probably got a lot of experience at a lot of different levels, uh, but you may not have as much experience, let's say, um, you know, working with uh, CFO or C-level uh, executives. Um, I would say, and, and someone might very well argue with this, <laughs> with this advice, I got to tell you, um, I would say, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid to call a meeting, walk into their office and say, look, I just want to try and figure out how to make you, you more successful how to be a strategic part of the business, talk to me. Like, what are, what's top of mind for you? What's keeping you up at night? What are, the, what are your MBOs? 
uh, and, and how can I partner with you to help you be successful? I've never met anyone in my life who didn't like that, <laughs> right? I mean, you might have a little trouble getting on their calendar, but when you get in the room and you say that to someone, I don't think they're going to say, eh, go away. I don't care about that. And, you know, if you establish that kind of relationship and that kind of alignment with the key leaders in the company, and by the way, they may be the, the most senior people in the company. They may be a layer or two below, but they're key people, right? Um, there are there are some really important people who have a title of director, uh, you know, in any company. Um, but if you connect with those key people and and try and get out of your office, uh, frankly, as much as you can, and spend as much as you time as you can talking to your customers, your internal customers, um, I, I think that's a real key to success. Carl, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. Uh, any final thoughts? Any things to plug? I guess I would just say, you know, in that sort of external role, I'm always happy to talk to people. If you're a CIO and you're interested in customer success, um, feel free to, to contact me. I'm easy to find on uh, LinkedIn and uh, I'm happy to have those kind of conversations. So uh, feel free to use me as a resource. Awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, we appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And now here is Dragana from the Salesforce platform team with our Trailblazer Tuesday segment. Thanks, Dan. Dragana tuning in for another episode of Trailblazer Tuesday. I'm super excited to have uh, Rishi Shah here from Seagate. Rishi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So Rishi, you do a lot of cool stuff at Seagate. Can you share a little bit about what Seagate does and what it is you do to make things run over there? Yeah, uh, so Seagate is a leader in the data storage solutions industry. Uh, we support everyday customers from large global enterprises to um, around the world with incredible hard drives and systems that help create the data sphere. We're extremely proud to be a leader in this space for the last 40 plus years. And my title, uh, at least at Seagate, is a business process architect under the sales enablement and operations organization. Uh, my function, though, is a little bit more creative than that. Uh, my role is to create or improve existing solutions where business processes and technology complement or don't complement each other. So really, it's just trying to improve what we can and build out new processes to help our business move forward. Um, I try to architect an intuitive and fluid sales motion, leveraging salesforce.com and other third-party tools. Awesome. Well, you got to love it. Like your title doesn't always feel as exciting, but then the job is so much more than that. And that's what makes things great here in the Silicon Valley. And Rishi, I know you just mentioned Salesforce a little bit. And obviously in Trailblazer Tuesdays, we're always highlighting great uh, implementations that are done on salesforce.com. I would love to, and I know you guys have built over a hundred apps and counting across a variety of departments. Can you share some that you think are most impactful or how you all came about having so many different apps? Are you managing all of this? Yeah, I'll say we've definitely done our best to exhaust the object limitation in the org. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we have, you know, we've built all sorts of pointed solution apps to apps that build cross-functional collaboration across our organization. 
Um, you know, these ones, uh, for example, a couple of uh, ones that are pointed are like an ergonomics assessment app for all of our employees. So when they onboard or throughout their journey at Seagate, um, if they feel like they need some help with ergonomics, we have an app for that built in our Salesforce platform connected to our ergonomics team. Uh, another cool example of a, a pointed app and solution is for a communications app that our pricing team uses to easily build email letters that communicate key information to our customers and partners. So it's an easy way for our teams to build those types of letters and make sure that the right people uh, from our customers and partners get these notifications. Um, however, the most collaborative app we have uh, that kind of hits all of our organizations or most of them is our sales CRM app. Uh, that's really where we bring all of our businesses together. Um, you know, it's a, we use enablement tools as well, um, such as pricing tools, uh, collateral tools, and, uh, you know, and analytics as well. We bring all that together. You know, the best part about that is, uh, you know, we have a great IT organization that supports us. They're fantastic at kind of building out these pointed apps, but also ensuring that we're building connectivity across organizations, right? The, the case in point for sales CRM is to make sure that regardless of your persona, regardless of what you do at the company, we're here to support our customers, and we need to have a 360 view of our customers and the business in order to make sure we, each of us in our respective organizations can support them. You got to love it. You guys really have built out everything from ergonomics to pricing and to obviously sales CRM, which is amazing. So what kind of impacts or results are we talking about here? What have you experienced with the sales CRM app? What's the impact it's made on the company? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first thing I'll say is our work isn't done yet, right? We're always in the mode of streamlining, continuous improvement and, and new strategic projects. Uh, but one of the things we're particularly particularly proud of is moving into the Lightning experience a few years back. We were one of the first customers of Salesforce to do this at our scale. Um, and it's really allowed us to change and adapt to our business environment faster. We're able to reuse and recycle certain components and designs far more effectively than we could in the past. And uh, this really helps us because we understand as, a, as an organization and as a company, uh, if we want to stay relevant for another 40 plus years, we need to continue to reinvent who we are as a seller and as a vendor, right? And keep supporting our customers. Uh, we're also starting to make great strides in leveraging uh, Salesforce.com as our single source of truth to manage the business. This has always been in our vision, but I will say that moving to Lightning and having a strategic roadmap and vision uh, has gotten us much closer to that than ever before. Amazing. And I love that you mentioned this idea of continuous innovation. We actually recently on the podcast had Gene Ross from MIT talking about how your digital transformation success really comes when you're able to continuously innovate and experiment, you know, fail quick and cheap and then make things happen and improve for your customers over time. So what's next on the horizon for you guys? What's next is, you know, is to really continue to improve our employee experience. Uh, we realize that, you know, without a good employee experience within our systems and tools and process pr perspective, uh, we can't support our customers in the best ways possible, right? So to help our employees make decisions faster, uh, more effectively, uh, or, or do things more accurately is really what's next on our, horizon, our, our roadmap and our horizon. Any sort of initiatives and projects that are going to help improve the employee experience. Um, so we, for example, want them to spend more time in front of our customers and partners. The way to do that for us, we've realized, is to 
in an odd way, make them spend less time in salesforce.com, right? So how much can we automate and simplify and improve decision-making so they can get on to doing what they do best, which is selling out in the field. Um, so we think we have the foundation at this point, uh, and really it's to continue tinkering and innovating our processes to make sure that user experience in SMPC is optimized. That's where we're headed. Cool. Well, yeah, with the Customer 360 platform, we're always trying to make sure that we are enabling your teams to be as productive as possible. So we love to hear that. Anishi, thank you so much for sharing all this great information. But there's a question that we ask everyone on IT Visionaries. And we'd love for you to import some of your wisdom, whether it be on uh, one rule or best practice tip to live by, whether it be for career growth, implementation strategy, or anything of the, anything on the for me, when I talk about employee experience, right, how do we improve the usability of our tools and processes? Uh, the key thing that I've learned and picked up on is to go actually and spend time with the salespeople. You know, try to live their world. Uh, travel to their offices, do um, what we call follow me homes, or you know, go to customer meetings or join forecast calls, but really try to understand what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, the reason for that is sometimes it's it's hard to translate their the requirements that they have into technology because it's not easy to, for them to speak the language that we speak from a Salesforce perspective, right? And so if you actually experience what they're doing, you'll be able to better understand what they're trying to accomplish based on their requirements. I love that. It's just like not only do you need to have that 360 degree of your customer, you also need it of your employee to really understand what truly will make things better for them. Uh, Rishi, I want to thank you once again for uh, joining Trailblazer Tuesdays on the IT Visionaries podcast. Uh, hope to sync with you again soon and maybe have you on for a full episode down the line. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you again for having me. This is a great honor. Have a good one. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.